Hey, this is Mike Gilbert from Flotsam and Jetsam, and you are listening to Focused on Metal. Scott here and Richie and as promised back again for yet another week that's right like a rash we are back great guest this week as promised Michael Gilbert from Flotsam and Jetsam and uh, these guys they just keep going too there I think like you know you talked about last week about bands that keep consistently putting stuff out and they're another band that have hit their stride over Killer. the last couple of years of Killer. just go Killer ahead stuff. putting them out and it's always good stuff too, you know. And they're, you know, they're kind of a more of aggressive stuff, but uh, still, they're they're always right there, which mm. is great. And Eric is a, still a fabulous singer. Yeah, he really. Yeah. I know Michael says it in the interview. He thinks he's the best singer in metal. Uh huh. He's one of them. Yeah, he, and he's just kind of he's he's definitely uh, an underdog. He really is. But, you know, because when, you know, when you talk about singers, he isn't always the one that pops to mind. You know well, what I mean? He stands out for me because of the genre that he's in. He doesn't sound like Chuck Billy and he doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. he, in a way you could lump him in with Joey Belladonna. He's got that clean voice. Yeah. yeah. And the other guys have got the, the growly, the mm-hmm. lower register. Yeah. And Eric is Eric is more of a clean singer like yeah. Joey is. Yeah. Um, and I don't think he gets enough plaudits. Yeah. Um, I think he still sounds amazing, and he absolutely kills on this record. Yeah, like there's a couple of things on this record. He sounds like Rob Halford. I'm not kidding. Yeah, he, I mean it, it's good stuff. I mean, the other the other thing is you know is and you mentioned it in the interview too is, is Ken Mary, oh, um, which is you know machine he is. But and the thing is though is I mean he's been around for a long time, and you know to be to be popped into this band and. I'm sure a lot of people thought that, oh, well, he's going to do the, you know, the one album and, and they'll yeah. change out. You know what I mean? Um, and he didn't. No. Which is great, you know? No, and he helps produce this one because he, he has his own studio and he's yeah. a producer in his own right. Yeah. Um, I can't understand why a guy like that wasn't pl- plucked into any of these other bands over the years, like a Gene Hoagland. Yeah. I, I, I just don't get it. Like, this guy's a fucking amazing drummer. Yeah, yeah, he is definitely. I mean, he's more. He's more known for hard rock. Mm-hmm. I know him more for Alice Cooper, House of Lords, of course. Right, I'm a massive House of Lords fan. Um, but after that, did didn't he do an album with David Ellison years ago? Where you had Chris Saunders on the show. I think he drummed on that. It was really early on when I started. Um, it was more of a metal album. Is that I th- the? I think he was on that. It might have been actually the first show I did. I'll have to look back and, um, s- and look at the credits on that. Yeah, I think I think Ken Mary was on that. Oh, okay. Um, and he's probably was, he's probably done a ton of other I stuff. I've never heard. Long time. <laughs> wow. I'm racking your brain now. Yeah, I haven't listened to that in a long time. Yeah, it's. But, I, I, I think you know what I'm going to have to do. Speaking of that, go down a rabbit hole. One thing I did do during the break is I realized that I need to get my shit together about these things. Stomp boxes. Because I've got a ton of them. 
to the point that I forget all of them that I have. And it's, it's similar to like, I'm going to have to catalog my music because I, I guarantee I'm going to end up buying something I've already got and forgotten I have. I probably have already done it for all I know. If not for Amazon telling me, you already bought that on and <laughs> giving me a date. Um, but I started cataloging all of these. I've still got a whole big pile I haven't gotten to yet. From how long? But I've got... No, new, I've, out, still in the box, never opened? Um, I do have a couple that are still new in the box, <laughs> never opened. Oh, I have to have that, and it just sits there for years. <laughs> um, but I'm up to like 130 of them. The, the thing is with these, right, is, and especially now, it's the tide has changed with stomp boxes. Any of you guys out there into stomp boxes? Um, you know, it used to be that, you know, you go get your, you know, you get your boss. So this one is, which one is this? Oh, this is the, this is the 30th anniversary of the pedal that's sitting in front of you. The metal zone, yeah. but now you have a lot of companies that will will make just a short run. So it might be, and it might be a big a big company, big in the pedal world, and do like fifty of them, and that's it, and they'll never make them again and stuff. So it's it's like if you really want that sound, you need to hop on it, or it's gone. Some of these anniversary ones like this, Boss is going to just they'll they'll do a run for a year, and that's it. And and if you missed it. There's one that came out earlier. It was it was announced in late 2019, I think, and it was it's a it was a collaboration between Boss and um, Macari's in England to do a tone bender, and they put it out limited run, and it's limited because of the components. So they only had enough of the components to build a certain number of them. And I think it, I think it retailed for something like 150 or something. Boss is never really exorbitant. If you were to go on reverb and look now, there are people selling those for three to $4,000 and they're getting the money because they are, you know, they can, they're, they're like short runs now for a lot of these things. So, um, you know, things like this, there's one behind you that's, uh, uh by solo Dallas, which is essentially, the sound of ACDC, that kind of the secret sound that really made their sound their sound. Those are kind of limited to hard to come by. And so, yeah, there's things like that. I was like, I was like, holy crap, I forgot. The pedals I, know I want are the ones on my bike. Yeah. I, I was looking, <laughs> I was like, I, I looked at one, because I, I also, I'm like putting down the serial numbers and all that. And I'm like, holy crap, I got serial number two of this pedal. How the hell did this happen? And so it's, you know. But I, you know, I still, yeah, I've got a pile of them. I still have to, just so I know what I've got, what sounds that I've got, you know, you know, so I'm even, you know, okay, so, so this the, distortion. So this, you, you need to show me before I go to one for three grand, because I can take that and you mightn't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it, it, yeah. It's an addiction, but I gotta. I do have to get my crap together with some of that, just so I I, I actually know what I've got. Because for some of these, it's like, oh yeah, I do have that that sound. You know, like I keep thinking, oh, I don't, I don't have something that sounds like a tone bender. I don't have that kind of fuzz. And it's like, oh yeah, I do. I've got one that's like like a Mach three. I've got one that's like a one point two. I got. It's like, yeah. Anyways, that was a rabbit hole. I'm back. Oh. 
I didn't uh, add much to that. All because I, I couldn't remember I, if I have that else. I don't know shit about any yeah. gear. <laughs> you don't want to. It's no. a bad habit. So what do we want to talk about? Debts. Yeah, I mean, speaking of limited runs, let's, let's talk about human limited runs. It's been uh, it's been a kind of a nonstop death fest for the last well, month or so. We were off the air for two months. Uh-huh. Jeff Lavar was the first one. Yeah. Uh, we had him on the show yep. once for a year. Did great, team. great. And speaking speaking of effects, I mean Jeff at one point Jeff was talking about selling me one of his um boss um delay units. I just didn't have I didn't have the money and, and uh then he, he decided to, to to keep it in the family. But yeah, he we were actually having a conversation back and forth and he was gonna actually say, oh, I would oh, yeah. have been really happy to have that. Didn't know that. Yeah. You know, one of the Roland Space Echoes that he had, which is a, they're a beautiful piece of gear if you can get them. And uh, then to have one that was Jeff's would have been even better. But yeah. Yeah, so yeah, speaking of gear. Yeah. And then my cow, that shocked me. Shocked actually, me actually, too. Actually, didn't know it shocked me, but the my cow one did. It, it, and it shocked me enough that I forgot it happened. So then it shocked me again when I had to remember that it did. Yeah. Um, I met him. I interviewed him twice, and I'm, I you met, met up in Manchester, right? No, I met him in. Um, I'll oh, tell, I'll tell that's you the story. right. You were down in New Jersey. I went to New Jersey that's for right, a Gigantor. That's right. I was supposed to go and to Manchester. It was Megadeth, Monomart, Suicidal, Metal Church, and Butcher Babies. And a, fr- a friend, of, a friend of mine, I got to know a bit over the years. PR guy Smitty. Great mm-hmm. guy. Um, I think he left the PR business for a while. I think he's trying to get back in a little bit now. But I'd work with him a little bit on some of the bands, and I'd call him the odd time. Really, really nice guy. And <clears throat> I told him I was going down to meet a friend of mine there, and we were planning on going to the show. And he, of course, said, Richie, I'll look after you. I'm going to the show. Um, I'll make sure you have tickets and everything. Just mm-hmm. call me when you get there. I'll look after you. So, of course, we get there, and he brings us backstage. Mm-hmm. Um, Mom would go into meet Metal Church into the changing room. So he brought us in, and all the band were there, and we ended up talking to all of them, Mike, hanging with, hanging, we must have been in there for half an hour, just shooting the shit with all of them. Yeah. Um, Jeff Plate was still in the band. We're talking to Jeff, chatting with Mike, had a beer with Mike, Kurt, couldn't have been nicer. Yeah. Honest, honestly, couldn't have been nicer to me. And um, the show was amazing. And I got to meet Dave Lombardo. I got to meet Mike Muir. Um, you know, just one of the best shows personally I'd ever been at, like if you want to mm-hmm. meet musicians. Yeah. And Mike was fabulous. And when they brought out the, uh, what was that record they brought out? There was a couple of new tracks on it. I can't even think of the name of it now. Um, I think it came out last year sometime. From the vault? Yeah. I think that's it. And they put a couple of new songs on it. Um, this one? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And the new songs were... Signed by Mike Howe? Excellent. <laughs> and the new songs were excellent. Yeah. And I interviewed Mike for that. And um, and then, of course, you know, you hear he passed away. And yeah. And the story comes out about what happened. And I'm like, fucking hell. And then, you know, what, what, what can you say? You know, yeah. it's like tra- tragic. Yeah. Um, 
will Kurt continue Metal Church? I can't see it. Personally, I think he said before in interviews that this is it. Yeah. Mike was back in the band. Mm. This is more or less it. I can't see Kurt going out now and getting a new singer. They're going to go back to Ronnie Monroe. Can't see that either. He's got a solo um, coming out. Presto Ballet. Oh, his solo record. Yeah. yeah. Um, but fuck, that shocked the shit out of me. Mm. Um, the Dusty Hill one from ZZ Top. Um, yeah, he's been around old. for a while, though. They're old. And uh, I was talking to somebody about that. They were asking me about that the day it happened. And uh, He was 72 or 73 years old. You know, and, and I said, you know, if you go back and, and watch the, the Netflix documentary, which is an excellent documentary, it is. by the way. Um, the one Sam Dunn did? Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's, and, it's all on the early years, most of it. It's yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it's really, really well done. I, I think I've watched it about three times now. Yeah. Um, and you can even see there that he's... It's he's kind of feeling it, you yeah, know. But the first guy in ZZ Top, I would have thought it kicked the bucket would have been Frank Beard with all the problems he's had health wise and drugs and all that shit. Yeah, well, I think his saving grace is that he doesn't have the weight on him. I think the drugs might have done something you know? <laughs> to, to help that, but um, yeah, that's true. I think it did rub some people the wrong way that you had a band like that and it's only ever been them. Uh-huh. And the guy literally just died and they were out doing shows. And some people I know got annoyed at that saying, like, the guy's just dead. Uh-huh. And they're in a sticky situation to sign contracts and all that. And sure. Really had to get I mean, kind of like when John Whistle died. Yeah, know? but again, it's... How does how does a band end well? You know, you you think, yeah. oh yeah, when when one of the you know like uh-huh. Led Zeppelin when John Bonham died, that was it. Zeppelin were done. Yeah, more or less. On yeah, yeah. the odd show here mm-hmm. or there, but they were done. Right, and people might have felt, oh yeah, ZZ Top has always been. It's been Dusty, Billy, and Frank. Yeah, it's only ever been them for fifty years. And now the band are gonna see. I think though continue. that I mean, in a way, it's a good example. But in another way, you look at you look at Zeppelin, and they were not. So I like you look. So you look at ZZ Top first. Let's look at them first. And and it's oh yeah, you're right. It's only been them until you go really way back. But it's only been them. But they've always had a they've they've kind of always been creative they've always been evolving they've always you know been doing this again writing new music all the time and whether or not people buy it or not or they want to hear it at shows or not they keep writing new music and all that and then you if you go back and you and you look at zeppelin though i mean they were they were you know they their height lasted for years but they definitely were hitting a spot where even when if Bonham hadn't died, they could have just disintegrated at yeah. any point. You know, what I mean, they were all kind of doing their separate things, yeah. and and uh, you know, you listen to some of the 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 last album, and you know, really were the writing inputs, and you John know, Paul Jones. Pagey wasn't there really. You know, he was off in, in his own little drug land and stuff, and so uh, you know, I would they have really continued that much longer? Um, you know, maybe not. I think I think for me, it hits harder with with ZZ Top that. Uh, Again, yeah, they were the only the three of them, and um, it is interesting that you know go ahead and continue to play shows after after he died. Definitely, yeah. And then of course, you Charlie Watts today, 
Yeah. Um, 80. All these guys are, you know, they're all getting up there. It's, uh, I used to buy Classic Rock magazine. I used to get it every month. Yeah. And I stopped because I didn't think the magazine was up to snuff really anymore. Mm -hmm. It was rehashing the same old shit. Yeah. You know, it was like fucking Zeppelin every three months. Let's have a look (laughs) at physical graffiti. I'm like, you fucking already did that, you know. And got a guy what at work I, I, who looks just like the father on the cover of Presence. What, what, what <laughs> I was what I was finding with that magazine was that it used to it used to in the beginning that it had a news section like like mm-hmm. harangues yeah. and yep. all that like you'd have all the, the you know this is happening this yep. band's going on tour to release an album. The first couple of pages were all obituaries. Yeah. Um. Or you know. Um, they'd have like a two-page spread, you know, on like Dusty Hill. I think yeah. Dusty Hill's on the cover. I think yeah. of the new. And one. they have that with with uh, you know I get vintage I get vintage guitar. And when I first got it, you might have in the beginning, you know, with letters and all that, and you might have one panel. Yeah. That was an obit, and now every month you have three, four, or four pages. Five guys. Yeah. You know. It's yeah. Like, Jesus. But what 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 you'll pick it up and of course there'll be one one or two big guys will die mm-hmm. and then they'll have like all these separate paragraphs and all these yeah. lesser known yeah. producers and uh, that's the world we live in now all the music that we grew up on now these guys are fucking old uh-huh. and they're fucking dying yeah um it's just a fact and you know people might you might look up at them as being oh my god these guys are gods and they're immortal and everything and it's like no they're not no. They're just a little bit older than we uh-huh. are, and they're all starting to kick the bucket. Yeah. Um, and it's happening more regularly. Yeah. And it's going to get more regular. Um, because, you know, I know when Ronnie James Dio died, it was 2010, that was kind of a bit of an anomaly back then, 10 years ago. You know, uh, uh, yeah. having a big metal guy die. Yeah. Fast forward 10 or 11 years. There's like one every month uh-huh. now, or one every a big one, and one every two months. Yeah. Um, and then there's other guys that are passing away. It's like, oh fuck yeah, I remember him. You know. Yeah. It's just life. Sucks getting old. It's, it's it does. <laughs> it sucks. Um, go see him as they come around. I've said this before. I've been saying this on the show for years. Yeah. They mightn't come around again. Yeah. I never saw ZZ Top. I'm never going to see ZZ, and I love him. Yeah. And. I'm not going to see him now. Yeah. And that sucks. I, I, I can say that I did see Metal Church at Mike Howe. Mm-hmm. And I did see Cinderella with Jeff Labar. Um, I never saw the Rolling Stones. I was never that big a fan. You probably saw the Rolling I Stones. I did see the Stones. Yeah, yeah I never did. Yeah. Um, but all you got to do is look on social media. The outpouring for him, for Charlie, yeah. is incredible. Well, he's, I mean, he's, he's, yeah, I mean he's, he is... He's an he's an interesting guy in that, you know, he comes from a jazz background, and it's really kind of like Phil Rudd. It's what he didn't play that was so freaking important, and and nobody else would have worked in the Stones like Charlie did. And it's kind of like, as much as Chris did a great job with ACDC, nobody slots into ACDC like Phil Rudd does either. It's just it's just this thing that happens, and that's. 
I always compare Charlie to, to Phil Rudd. They're very, very similar to me mm. um, in, in kind of that, that approach of the, of the not play things. Although the jazz part of it is more akin to what like um, Bill brought to Sabbath. Is another person who came from the jazz jazz realm, and yeah, so you kind of have that time moves back and forth thing, and that's what that's that's the key. So yeah, Charlie is it's it's. I mean, you, you knew it was due at some point. Well, he, one it, of those guys is going to go. Well, didn't they do shows recently, and he wasn't there? Yes. Um, I don't think people expect him to die, right? But uh, he he didn't he didn't play the recent shows that they played. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, They're yeah, going to continue. A, it sucks. They're going to continue. I, I will say, when it comes to merch purchasing, oh, you would be, your eyes would just be so wide at the amount of merch that those guys move at a show. I have never seen anything like it. And we've gone to Maiden shows. It, it, it's not even close. Mm. It is not even close to see people with like, you know, like these giant bags, like Target bags kind of thing full of shirts, jackets, leather jackets, like like the amount of merchandise that they sell. And you look around and everybody's got bags and bags of stuff. It's like, holy crap. And it costs a fortune. It's insane. 50 bucks a shirt. It's insane. I was, I I just, I couldn't believe how much of it I was seeing. It, It was, they're like a machine. It's amazing. They, they outdo Maiden on it. And Maiden, I think is pretty spot on with their, I, I'm still kicking myself. I didn't get that limited shirt that time. I was like, yeah, Allison, I know you were there. You got one. But, you know, that... And actually, you know what? I missed the one, the last one, too. Yeah, but you have a pedal or three grand in front of you. You should be happy. <sighs> they, had, they, had, they, had, they, had, they always have these great, like, spot-on shirts and things. And, and, and Kiss is not as much now, but they were a merchandising machine, too, live. They've kind of culled it down somewhat. Um, but the Stones were, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> Insane, insane. But who isn't insane is is Flotsman Jetson. So uh, I think we should probably uh, listen to your great chat with Mike. Yeah, I love Mike. So let's, uh, let's get off the deaf. We'll get on the flots till deaf instead. There you go. How's that? How's that for a most metal segue nice, right there? Nice. All right, let's do it. I'm Michael. Hey, what's going on? Hey, it's Richie. How you doing? Hey, Richie. What's up with you, man? Uh, Everything's good here. Yeah. Where are you, in Phoenix? Yeah, Phoenix. Sweating my ass off. Um, <laughs> how hot was it there a couple of weeks ago? Man, we were up to uh, like 117, 115. It was brutal, man. Like I, I have a pepper garden out in my backyard, and it was... It, it almost killed it, a bunch of trees and stuff. Yeah, man, it's been a really brutal summer. But right now, it's only like 100, so like we're got to get my jacket on for that. It's, it's, only, it's only 100. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I don't even know why we, we live here. It's insane. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, what's, the, uh, what's the worst weather you've ever performed an outdoor show in? Oh my God! I, I remember this show way back in the day. It was like 1988. I think we did some festival in New Hampshire in the winter time. It was outdoors, and uh, that was hands down the worst. 
that was the worst like performance because my fingers were frozen. You know, I couldn't even hardly move. Teeth were chattering. Oh my god, it was bad. So you don't want to go out there with like a down jacket on or a leather jacket. You know, it's just uh, it's all constricting. But yeah, that was crazy. I, I wish I could remember the name of the festival, but uh, so long ago. But I do remember the show. Yeah, because I'm just outside of Boston. Oh. Yeah. How far is that from you? How far is... Uh, New, New Hampshire is like 10 miles the border from my house. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, so I know I know how brutal the winters are up here. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't fun at all. It was, I, I'm not, I don't like the cold weather anyway, so like that was even worse for me. Mm. What what about playing in heat? Have you ever like suffered heat stroke playing live because it's been so hot? No, nothing like that. I, I actually like it when it's hot like that, especially uh, doing shows. I, I think we did a show at this place in Philadelphia. Uh, it was called the Empire Club. I don't even know if it still exists or not, but um, that was the hottest show that we've ever done. It was you know it was a mid-sized club. It was packed. And I think temperatures were like 125 inside up on the stage. It was brutal. <laughs> what what about a tra- what about a travel story, Michael? Where you know the weather was really bad, and you're traveling between gigs, maybe on a bus, and you thought, "Geez, we're never going to make it." Maybe you're you're in a blizzard or something like that. Has that ever happened to you? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I've got we've got all kinds of stories like that. Um, not so many weather stories. I mean, we've been. We've been stranded before uh, because of the weather, but nothing like, you know, our bus has never, uh, like, had any issues going through weather. But but we've had other issues with it. We've, uh, a couple occasions, uh, well, one occasion we were going through New Mexico and the front, the front wheel, not just the tire, but the whole front wheel came off and it turned sideways in the wheel well. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a scary that was really scary for us. Uh, you know, luckily we had a really good driver and he had just like probably two or three days earlier stopped smoking. So he was wearing this nicotine patch on his shoulder and, uh, you know, we all got off the bus and he ripped that patch off, threw it on the ground and lit up a cigarette. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it could have been a lot worse. We're lucky we had a talented bus driver, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Have you, um, have you ever played a show sick and been able to pull it off and you didn't beforehand, you didn't think you'd be able to do it? Um, no, not, we've done tons of shows when we've been sick, you know, it's just like, uh, it definitely sucks, but, uh, you got to pull through it. You know, we, we've never canceled anything uh, because of sickness or anything. Yeah. Yeah. You've been lucky. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've had, I've had, I, I asked a couple of musicians that question and, some of them, they just don't, they, you know, they got to do it. It's, it's, it's work. You know, you got to get up on stage and, and do the gig. Yep. Yeah. That's what we're, that's what we signed up for, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course I'm talking to you now and, and, uh, I don't know whether you knew Mike Hell from Metal Church, uh, who passed away yesterday. Yeah, that is awful news. Um, uh... I didn't know him like, you know, I knew him uh, just from meeting him a couple times and we've done, we've done tons of shows at Metal Church uh, and, you know, we've, we've done the 70,000 tons with him and everything. So, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I don't even know what to say, you know, just reading stuff like that, but just, it's tragic, uh, you know, the guy's a, 
ultra talented and you know i don't know what happened i got been searching for what what had happened to him uh you know just i don't even know what to say i'm speechless on it mm. what about joey jordison who passed away today did you do shows with slipknot yeah, yeah, I don't know all those guys. I only know a couple of them, but I didn't know uh, Joey. But that's another. Uh, I, I guess he had some. Uh, I, I forget the name of of the uh, the disease he had. He had some some sort of inflammation of his uh, like his his spinal cord or something like. I, I don't know what the name of it was, but I don't. I don't know if that was the cause of, of what happened to him today. Uh, but again, a, another huge talent lost you know it's just sad news it's awful news yeah um what what musician passed away michael uh and it might have been recently it might have been years ago when you were a lot younger and and like the musician's death really affected you because the one that stands out yeah there's two of them that that really did uh there was you know randy rhodes um you know, you ever have those incidents in your life? Like, okay, we'll just take like the world world trade center, you know, when that happened, you, you probably knew you can remember exactly where you were at when that happened, when you heard the news of that, you know, I think everybody, everybody on the planet, uh, can, can vouch for that. And then they know where they were at when that incident happened. The same thing I, when Randy Rhodes passed away, I remember, I still remember where I was and I remember hearing it on the radio and I just saw him a couple a couple months prior to that. They played Phoenix on the Blizzard of Oz show, and that was the first concert I ever went to. Wow! Uh, yeah, so that one hit hard. And then uh, Ed, you know Eddie Van Halen. You know he was such an influence on me and growing up. And uh, I'm a huge Van Halen fan. And just yeah, it's like you 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 see these guys up on stage and you you're like, and when they pass away, you know they're 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 larger than life when you see them and then you think that they're going to live forever, you know, they are, uh, you know, with what they've put on tape and what they've released in their uh, music and stuff like that, that you think their, their life is just going to go on forever, but it doesn't, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's shocking. Like, uh, when the reality sets up, it's just shocking. Yeah. Two guitar players, Michael. Yeah, <laughs> I think for me, the one that hit me hardest that I don't play an instrument is um, Neil Peart because Rush are my favorite band. Yeah, I was. That's another. That was a shocker too. Like we didn't even know that was like was coming up on it. You know, like he obviously knew something was going on. Yeah, but uh, they were very good about keeping it out of the public eye and making sure that you know he was uh, uh, that people didn't really know what was going on with them. Yeah. Yeah, that bumps me out. <laughs> Holy crap, that bumps me out. Yeah, it's just that you know, you Jeff Labar who played in Cinderella a couple of weeks ago, and then you had Mike Hell yesterday, Joey. The older you get, I think it's one of the things you have to deal with in life is is people dying. Like even if people close to you are musicians that you've been listening to for years, you mightn't really know them, but you know, you just have to deal with it, and people deal with it in different ways. Yeah, you know, it's it's almost like losing a, a family member, you know, because we grow up listening to these guys, and, you know, you listen to their records, and you feel close to them, you know, you feel like they're part of your family, and then when you when they, they pass away, it, it, it feels like a family member. Yeah, you know? you're right, because I, I have certain bands, like Rush was one, Megadeth, Metallica, you know, every couple of years, they Megadeth especially, like, they, they used to release an album every two years. 
you can nearly set your clock to it. And, um, you know, and then, of course, Dave had cancer and he's, he's okay now. But I was like, oh, you, you got to be kidding me here. You know, all these musicians that I love passing away. I'm like, I, I don't want any more of them to go, you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's awful. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, Michael, let, let's get let's get away from all of that now, and we'll get into the new record. Okay, Blood on the Water. All right, that sounds good. Right. we got to pick it up a little bit. Yeah, Blood <laughs> in the Water, right. Now, I, I spoke to you last year, and we t- we, we spent about an hour talking about um, about one of the albums that came out um, in, in 91, and I'm having a brain fart here now. I can't think of the name of it. Oh, uh, uh, When the Storm Comes Down. Yes. I think that's the one we were talking yes. about. When I wanted to read after. Yes. Uh, remix, yeah. I can't believe I forgot the name of it. <laughs> but uh, we spoke about that, and you you were talking about writing the the new album at the time, and hopefully getting everything together. Um, I I want to in general talk about hunger and motivation when it comes to writing oh. new music, because when it comes to the trash metal bands, and I'm talking about yourselves and Death Angel, Testament, Overkill, um you always still seem to have the hunger and the motivation to do new music. And people might say there's a lot of other acts and other genres that they mightn't be as motivated to do it. And there's longer gaps between records, but all of you guys seem to be able to do it. So where does that hunger for you come from? You know, it's, it's a lot of things. Um, Right now, I would say with this last record that we did, uh, Blood in the Water, I would say the hunger is coming from, uh, you know, the lineup that we have now. We have a we have a different member of the band, a new bass player, uh, and it's also coming from, you know, the the two prior releases. You know, in the business, they they always call it the trifecta. If you if you make three consecutive records that are that are really good or great or or received really well that will get you to like another level of success. I'm not going to say it's going to be like, you're going to, you know, you're going to get to like Pantera success or Green Day or anything like that. But it's like, it's going to get you noticed by uh, other uh, listeners, other genres of listeners, you know? Mm. So we had really rave reviews about the self-titled record, which, which came out a few years back. And then, great reviews on the end of chaos, which was the, which was the last one that we, uh, we released. So we had this drive to try to, to beat those two records, you know, and, uh, we kind of, we kind of thought that it was going to be difficult to, to top the end of chaos, our last record. So the hunger comes from that. Like, it's like, we can't have two releases that we're really proud of. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, fall off fall off of what we're doing on this one and make a, ba- a bad record or a mediocre record. So the drive was coming from, we can't make a mediocre record. This record has to be as good as the last one, which is the end of chaos or even better. And I think we did it. I've, we're so proud of it. You know, I've gone back and listened to it. I've never gone back and listened to any of our records. I've never done that, you know, at least for over and over again. But this one, I'm so proud of uh, what everybody did. And uh, I've listened to it a bunch of times, and I I can't find anything wrong with it. I'm super happy with it. I'm just like uh, I'm, I'm proud of uh, all the rest of the guys in the band. I think they all did a great job. They, they played uh, uh, their instruments like 
top-notch musicians, which they are. Mm. Um, you brought up something there, Michael, I was going to ask you, that you don't really listen to your the records that you've done in the past. What are you comparing the new music to then? Um, because you want it to be better. Surely you have to listen to that and compare it and say, nah, I don't like that idea. I don't think it's as good as it could be. Does that happen at all? Yeah, you know, okay, so like, what's weird for me when I write, I'm almost in like a bubble. And and to hear a song outside of that bubble, you know, as a, a listener that's never heard the song before, they, they come in and listen to something that I wrote. Uh, it might sound a little odd because we're, in my mind, I think things are flowing great, but they're really not. You know, it's really all over the map and it's choppy and there's no there's no song flow. I mean, musically, it might be cool. It might be cool parts put together, but as a song, as a whole, as a song, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But me being in that bubble, you know, it helps me to have an outside here go, Hey, what do you think of here? This sounds weird to me, you know? And whereas in the past, you know, there was only a couple writers in the band where now everybody in the band contributes. Everybody's a songwriter and has, uh, you know, really, really valid points to make about song flow. So it's it's not about musicianship or anything like that. You know, we can all play, but the real task is to, can we all write a song together? You know, mm. I think in the past, I think uh, Flotsam has lacked that a little bit. Um, and, you know, it's not that I'm not proud of, of any of that. I'm very proud of all the records that we made, except for... Uh, Except for the one we're talking about that needs to be remixed. <laughs> that might yeah, so that, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. That that can cause a problem sometimes when everyone wants to write. Because if you get precious about what you've written, that can that can cause friction. Um as that as that happened in the past, like you know, you, you might write something and think it's great, I don't want anybody to mess with it. And then when everyone starts writing, it can you, you can get jealousy can set in. Um, you know, has that happened? Totally. Uh, and that has happened all along the way, but, uh, realistically though, I mean, that's how ego based, uh, BS, you know, what it is when you overcome that, you realize that, you know, it, it's not somebody that's taking a shot at you. You know, they're not coming in and going, Oh, you suck, man. You wrote this part. It sucks. They're not saying that. Um, it's all in the goal of, hey, let's change this up to make the song better. You know, uh, if, if, if that's the way it, it works, you know, if I write a part that I love, but I get voted out and it, it ends up being for the better of the song, then, man, uh, I'm glad somebody caught it and, and called me on it, you know, because uh, you got to do what's best for the song. For the song. And, you know, that's one of the things I, I get asked on some of my interviews is what do you say to newer musicians that are starting a band or or, you know, uh, bands that are, you know, getting ready to make a record. Or, or I always say that, you know, leave your ego out and try to work with each other. You know, everybody's got uh, legitimate additions they can do. You know, everybody's got an ear. We all love music. We're all, we all have the same goal here. <laughs> mm. Now, you, you you brought up that you don't listen to the, your older material. So when it comes to writing for a new record, does that mean you don't bring any old ideas into the writing and it's all fresh. It's all fresh. We we always say that too. Hey, we've got you know we wrote forty songs in the last record. Let's use, use some of those for the new record. And we never do it. We always just uh, sit down with a clean slate and just start writing. 
Yeah, mm. me and Steve have been saying that for uh, for five years, and then you know, like this last record, fresh, clean slate to start with. Uh, and I, I'm glad because I think the songs have have gotten a lot better, especially with uh, Ken Mary coming to the band, a new drummer. He's got I call this guy the Swiss Army knife of musicians because he does everything. First off, he's a monstrous drummer. Uh, second, he can write lyrics, he can write music, he can produce, uh, he's a funny dude, he's cool to hang out with, I mean, so, yeah, total Swiss Army knife right there. Mm. He's got it all. Mm. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Ken, because I know Ken from the hard rock world, House of Lords, Mm -hmm. Alice Cooper. Um, I know he can play this stuff, and he's, he's he's an absolute monster. On on this record, I got and when I look at Ken, I'm th- I, and I listen to him now. I'm thinking to myself, why didn't any other trash metal band over the years hire this guy like Gene Hoagland got hired? Because the guy is an absolute machine. Yeah. Oh, I I totally agree. Um, and you know, he came to the band with when the previous drummer Jason Bittner. Uh, got asked to join Overkill, you know, I was like, yeah, dude, you got to go do that. You know, you're from New York. They're from New York. Those are your guys. You go join that band. You know, that's a great opportunity. So Steve knew Ken from playing in the studio. They worked together in the studio. So Ken sent a video of one of the tunes. Uh, I think it was Hammerhead or something like that. And I watched about 15 seconds of it. And I'm like, that's our guy right there. And he was he was only supposed to to do a tour with us. And then, uh, you know, the first time I played with them, I'm like, dude, if you, if you want to be in this band, you're more than welcome to, we want you in this band. And he was like, okay, no problem. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember talking to Greg Shafria and he was in house of Lords with him and he did it did it albums with Andy Johns and Andy Johns mm-hmm. in, in the seventies and eighties was notorious for getting rid of drummers and bringing in his own guy because he didn't think they were up to scratch. And Greg told me that when Ken came into play, he said to Ken that he thought he was one of the best drummers he's ever worked with in the studio. Timing. He said his timing was impeccable. Yeah, well, totally. And you got yeah, you uh, got you got to have for that. <laughs> yeah. Now, wh- when when you're doing the album now, this album was done a little bit different, wasn't it? Because of COVID that you all had to do your parts uh, in separate studios. Is that correct? Yeah, we've been doing that for a while anyways. Uh, since Ugly Noise, we've been doing that. Okay. So the the problem with that is, uh, you know, you got two ways of, of writing songs. You know, you can write songs like we can do and pass files back and forth and then delete files and say, this one sucks. This one's great. Pick and choose. But the other way of writing would be everybody sitting in a, or in a a rehearsal studio and playing. And that's got a huge advantage because you hear the anger, you hear, you hear the energy when you're all together playing. So a disadvantage for recording in separate studios is how do you capture that energy and, get it, get it on tape, you know, like it, that's the difficult part of it. So you don't really know what you got until it's really until you mix it. And, uh, and that's the thing we, we, we captured it and, uh, I don't know how we did it. I think it's just cause like you were saying before, we're hungry 
and uh, we're angry, you know, all, all that stuff, all the, all the stuff that goes in the cauldron to make a metal out. Uh, that's what we became. <laughs> yeah. You see, from the outside looking in as a fan, I, 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 you know, there's all these classic records were done. They were recorded in, in the studio that, you know, the bass player and the drummer record their tracks and then the guitarists record their tracks. And then in the end, they do the vocals and the, and the solos. And what I'm wondering about an album, albums that you're doing now is, are they all done that in that order? Or are they all done at, at the same time? Um, and then it's all, it's all mixed. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause you're trying to build it from the ground up with the rhythm section, then the guitars, then the vocals, uh, and then, and then the solos, uh, but you seem to be doing it a kind of a, not backwards, but kind of a, a different way than, than what I've, I'm known, you know, I'd know. Yeah, uh, there's so many tools out there. When I write, and I know when Steve writes, we, we both do the same thing. We'll pick up, you know, we'll figure out a riff that we want to play. You know, you'd be noodling around on the guitar, and you, you play something cool and go, oh, shoot, I want to make a song out of this riff. So you, you dump it in the Pro Tools, and you put a click track down, and you play to the click track. And then, uh, you know, I've got this tool called Easy Drummer which all I got to do is once the guitar is down, a scratch guitar part, if you want to call it that, for eight measures, I can drag uh, some some drums over into it and test, you know, what kind of drum beat that I want. And it's super fast and super easy to do. And once I find, um, you know, what I'm looking for, I, I can hear the energy in it and, and what I want, then I'll go ahead and, and finish writing the song out, at least the basic structure of it, and then I'll send it over to Ken. And, you know, Ken's always free to do whatever he wants, but he, he pretty much sticks to, uh, you know, the same, at least the same vibe that I send to him. And I know he does the same thing with Steve, too, uh, because it's capturing the energy, you know, and it's capturing the anger. Mm. So, anger, yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so you don't do demos in their traditional sense when you're doing albums on now. Is that right? Yeah, and uh, Steve, Steve Connolly, the other guitar player, and I talked about this extensively. Um, you know, a lot of guitar players will do a scratch track, and then they'll go back and re-record. Well, there's something about that that you can't, you cannot capture the same, when you re-record it, you yeah. can't capture the same, like, initial riff. You know, I've, I've tried it uh, on all of these last three records. And I end up using my original tracks that I wrote the song with, which would be quote unquote scratch tracks. And they always, they always contain some element. I can't, I can't describe what it is. I can't tell you what it is, but it's just something, uh, that makes it, uh, right. Uh, it's hard to describe, but Steve and I have talked about it. It's a, it's an entity, but it's hidden, you know, I think, I think Michael, it might be the feeling, the newness of it, maybe in the beginning, that you're not trying as hard, you're just trying to see what happens, and it's subconsciously coming out of you. Maybe, maybe that's it. Yep, and um, more fluid. Yep, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, tell me about the first song you wrote for the record, because that normally sets the tone for the whole record. Can you remember which one it was? Wow, well, uh, man, I think the first one that. I wrote was uh, too many lives, okay. and uh, and that, that's a crazy song. I mean, uh, especially for 
a, a guy like Eric AK to sing over because I'm using a lot of uh, like dissonant chords and uh, just crazy key changes, you know, and for it's a nightmare for somebody to sing over. But, you know, uh, I think that we have the best singer in metal. So AK tackled it and he did a great job on it. He wrote a chorus line that, uh, and it's just insane. You know, yeah. the, uh, who's, they were comparing him to like uh, Halford on it, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. What, so what, 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 what's Eric getting from you guys as a song? Is he getting the whole instrumental? And then he works on the melodies and the lyrics on top of it. Like, how does all that dynamic work? Yeah, that's that's exactly how it works. We uh, we turn it over to him, and uh, and that's even before Ken puts any drums on it. We turn it over to AK, and he'll either, you know, if he feels like he can write something over it or sing a melody line over it, uh, he will. And if he doesn't, we just don't hear. We just never hear back from him on that song. Kind of funny. <laughs> He just ignores you. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah, he's the king of that. When he doesn't want to do something. <laughs> I will say that his vocals on this album are amazing. And I don't know how he does it year in, year out. Because what is he now? He must be, what, mid-50s, Michael? That'd be right? Yeah, he's, he's somewhere around there. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure his exact age. But yeah, he did. This, it's the same thing for for me, like, I, I listened to this record back as a fan, and I'm like, "Wow, AK, holy, holy crap!" Dude. Yeah, like the there was I, blood in the water. Something was in the water. It might not have been blood, but it was something yeah. that he was drinking. Yeah, like like the, the song I absolutely love on this is uh, "Cry for the Dead." It's um, it's kind of this slow, slower song that kind of builds for for the chorus, but his vocals on that are fantastic. Oh yeah. Yeah, that song gives me chills when I hear it. It's a, a lot of people think it's related to you know some of the COVID stuff that was going on, but it was, uh, I, you know, I try not to dive too much into AK's lyrics because I like people to to have their own perspective of of you know what he's he's saying, uh, just as I do. I I don't I don't ask him because I don't want to. Have you you've had, have you ever had a song that you've listened to over and over again? You thought it was about this, and and then all of a sudden you know the artist reveals what it's really about and it kind of ruins the song for you you know <laughs> well i've had some guys on and i'll ask, some singers on who've written the lyrics and i'll ask them and they won't want to tell me because they'll say well what does it mean to you and then i'll tell them and i say well you relate to it that way then so i'm happy if you relate that way to the song yeah i think that's pretty cool mm. um when eric does the vocals is he pretty quick at getting them done or is he very hard on himself? He's hard on himself. Um, he, he, yeah, he's very particular about it. And, um, yeah, super hard on himself. Like it, he'll show up for vocals and he'll, some nights he'll kill the whole song and just blaze through it, do all the harmonies. And other nights he'll show up and sing one, nut, one note and go, Nope, I guess not. I'm going home. It ain't happening tonight. <laughs> like yep. he, he definitely knows his boundaries. Uh, but I have to say, you know, I, I, I think he's the best singer in metal. And uh, even non-metal stuff, the guy is just a raging killer. Mm. What's he like at taking guidance? Because, like, you you and Steve are guitar players, and then you got the bass player and the drummer. You know, you all you guys play instruments. But 
with Eric, like he's really the singer and he's the only singer. So can you guys go and say, can you do this? Can you try this? Or do you just like leave him be and he'll work it out himself? In the earlier days, it, we were all like, yeah, leave us be and we'll, we'll do it our own way. But, uh, in, in today's times with our lineup and, and what we've got going on, he is open to, to anything, which, which is a strength in my opinion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So who's changed the most since you joined Flot- Flotsam? You or Eric? Oh, me. Uh, definitely me. Cause I used to like, I used to be so angry back in the day. I want to fight. Like uh, maybe it's cause I'm short. You know, people, I got short man's complex, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to fight everybody. Well, what are you looking at? But yeah, that hurts, man. I got my ass kicked, uh, 4th of July. This is a good story for you. I got my ass kicked 4th of July a couple of years ago and we were leaving for Europe on the 5th of July. So I go downtown Phoenix and I start mouthing off to a bunch of kids. Uh, there was probably like six of them, you know, me and my buddy. And I ended up getting my ass handed to me. You know, I did okay against the first two guys, but then I got tackled and, uh, I got knocked out in the middle of the street had a big old scab on the side of my face and I showed up at the airport the next day and those guys, they just looked at me and they didn't even ask. None of the guys even asked. They just like, look, just kind of shook their head and were like, whatever, silver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael. So that was a, I'm never fighting again. That was my last fight I'm ever getting into. I got beat up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just got a couple of questions before I leave you go. Um, oh. If you were to go back now to the beginning of your career and give yourself one piece of advice in music, what would you say? One piece of advice? Yeah. Lose the ego. Like, it, man, it is a, it's a hurdle. It's an obstacle in the way of any, of any song that, uh, that is being made. You know, we do this to listen to songs. You know, there's great musicians out there. And if you have the right song, your great musicianship is going to show on that and you can show off all you want, but you got to have that, you got to have that foundation of a great song first. Mm. So always be versatile with your bandmates and communicate. Yeah, but surely, Michael, if you want to be great, you have to have an ego. <laughs> well, okay. So I do have an opinion about this. The ego looks great in the press. Uh, and the press eats it up. Uh, nobody wants to hear, oh, you know, this guy is just an average dude. He's got a day job. You know, nobody wants to hear that. We listen to music because we want to escape that stuff. We listen to music because we want to go into a different reality where it's not the same as our day-to-day lives, you know. Mm. Uh, so I think I think whenever you give uh, some interesting press like that, like egos and stuff. I think that's all, that's always good, you know, but, uh, when it comes to writing stuff with the, with your band, instead of fisting it out with each other, you know, definitely communicate. Mm. When you sit down to write a flotsam record now and you're listening to music, do you like just listen to metal or can, like if you, as your musical tastes widely changed since you joined flotsam in the eighties? Man, I listen to a lot of music. But when it's time to make a record, it's, it's, uh, I guess a good analogy would be game face, you know, uh, with an athlete, you know, what does an athlete do to get ready for their, for their meet 
for their track meet or their high jump or whatever they're doing. They train, they train, they train, and they train. Same thing with metal. Like our training would be to listen to, to that stuff, listen to angry stuff and get in that mode so you have your game face on to do it. Mm. Do you keep up with what Death Angel and Testament and Overkill and all these bands are doing? Like, Would their new stuff motivate you saying, wow, these bands are putting out great albums. We've got to step up our game here too. Yeah, you know, you, you always got to know what the competition is. And um, it's not really competition, you know, but it's it's more like you got to know what's going on out there and what people are listening to in order, uh, you know, I mean, you can do you can do some crazy music stuff that's off the wall and you're not going to get the tour with Death Angel or Testament. But if you're writing metal and you're keeping it in that genre where it's angry and it's hungry, like you're saying, then that's when, when you know, you, you go out with these other bands that are doing stuff that's like what you're doing. Mm. So, you know, there's a little bit of marketing in that. And there's, you know, there's, uh, you definitely have to keep up with what's, what's going on around. Mm. Now, Michael, you brought up ego there and the, the press lap all that up. And that got me thinking about something I, 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 was, I, was, I wanted to ask you. Um, every band, when they bring out a new record, or nearly every band, they always say that this is the best album we've ever done. Okay, now I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to talk about this one, right? Because I think this album's great anyway. You don't have to tell me that. Have you ever in the past done press for an album and said it's the best you've ever done and you know deep down that it isn't? Um, that I no, I I have never said that, and then in, like knew that I was telling a fib, you know, or didn't believe it. Yeah, definitely. If you know, if I said that about one of our records, uh, yeah, it's because I'm proud of it. The only the only one that sounds really weird to me is the the, the third one, you know, and it just needs a remix. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I think over time, your the the way you think of albums changes that. At, you can only do what you can do at that time and do the best you can do. That's the way I, l- I look at all of this. It's like any anyone's job. You know, you're in work that day. You can only do what you can do that day and do the best you can do. And in a couple of weeks' time, you might look back on it and say, yeah, I could have done that better. That's a way better answer than what I said. Can I use your answer? <laughs> you can. <laughs> <laughs> so what have we got coming up now, Michael? Um with COVID now opening up and for shows and, and things like that, what, what what's coming up in the future for you guys? Well, August seventeenth, uh, we head out for a small ten day tour of the United of like the southwestern United States, and it's kind of a warm up because uh, in January we're supposed to be going out with Accept in Europe for five weeks. So uh, there's that, and then we've got East Coast dates right after that. Uh, that I can't really talk about those because those aren't, haven't been announced yet. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we're going to be on the East Coast when we come back from Europe and then uh, heading back and doing the rest of the cities that we didn't do on this 10-day run. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully we have South America coming up as well and Mexico and uh, we're looking at Aus- Aus- uh, Australian dates right now too. So. Wow. You played in Australia before? Never. Uh, just because I'm afraid of spiders, man. And I heard the spiders that are like a pretty good size. So <laughs> I think they've got some of the, the deadliest animals on earth or <laughs> down there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's your favorite country to visit, Michael? Oh, um, 
Oh my God. Uh, I'm going to say Austria. Okay. When did you go to, when did you go there the first time? Uh, oh, geez. The first time I think we were there with, um, Megadeth in 1988, I think. Okay. Okay. What, 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 what did you like about it? Just a very different cold. Yeah, I, I just—it's cold. Yeah, it is. And I, you know, I'm not a cold, but just like um, just the countryside and everything, uh, the cities there were just cool to hang out at. Um, I don't know. I just—I just loved it. I just thought it was great. Okay, are you someone then that you're someone then that when they when you hit a town, you don't want to stay in your hotel room. You want to go have a look around. No, I want to go and look around. Uh, yeah, that hotel stuff is for the birds. I want to be out and experiencing what, what, what's going on in the city. And uh, I want to definitely be doing something for sure. Okay, okay. Hey, Michael, do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with you or the band? Uh, yeah, the social media is just uh, just Flotsam and Jetsam uh, on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, Flotsam and Jetsam, you can search that. Uh, what else? Our website is flotstilldeath.com, F-L-O-T-S-T-I-L-D-E-A-T-H.com. Uh, you can pick up merch and stuff. We have constantly have new merch coming in, and and that's really about it. Mm. You, you know now your next album is going to be very hard to top this one because this one is stellar. <laughs> We're going to do it, though. I, I have faith in, in this lineup that, that we got. I have faith that. We're gonna match this, or it's gonna be even more brutal. Mm. And you're gonna try and do the every two two and a half year album cycle. You're gonna try and keep that going. Absolutely. Mm. Great stuff. Well, Michael, I'm gonna leave you go. It's been a pleasure talking to you again. You too, Richie. Thanks, man. And I, yeah, definitely, I love talking to you, man. So hopefully, when we get on the West Coast, we can hang out a little bit. And yeah, if you get you know, up, if you, you if, if you get up my way, I'll text you. Hopefully, I can get back and say hello to you. Oh, absolutely. Perfect. All right, Michael, have a good rest of the night. Try to stay cool, okay? <laughs> All right, Richie. Thanks, man. Nice talking to you, buddy. Yeah, take care of yourself. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, there you go. Richie's chat with Michael Gilbert. I've lost count of how many times Mike's been on the show. I think it's maybe the fourth time he's been on with us. Anyways, again, big thanks to Mike for joining us once again, giving us an update of what is up in the Flotsam and Jetsam camp. And also, do yourself a favor, go out and get yourself your own copy of Blood in the Water. And while you're at it, you know, lots of new stuff being announced over the last couple of weeks. Three big ones in particular, some box set action going on and there's uh, one that bmg announced for overkill the atlantic year so be on the lookout for that one that's kind of seems like it's a little hard to find here in the states over in europe it seems like it might be a little bit easier but anyways a lot of good stuff on that one well worth digging and trying to get yourself a copy of it and also if you head up to uh focus on metal.net you can also check out the uh, news we did to announce the uh sepal nation so a box set from sepultura I know Richie's probably going to be digging that one. And also, my favorite one just announced, the uh, Symbol of Salvation Live. So all of the uh, stuff that's available for that one from Armored Saint, you can uh, go up to, again, like I said, focusonmetal.net, go over the news page, and there's the whole write-up on everything having to do with uh, Symbol of Salvation Live. 
get yourself that one as well and support the boys in Saint. I can say that I ordered my vinyl and CD DVD the day that puppy was announced. Actually, right after I posted the news item for it, I ordered my stuff up. So that's it for this week. And I believe next week that we will be uh, hooking up with an author did a great book of his time on the road with a couple of bands. I think that is what is in store for next week. So hope you're looking forward to that one. It's some great stuff that uh, Richie had a great discussion with him about that. But anyways, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.